Uh, all right, guys. So let's uh, talk to Stefan. Uh, he is live from Canada again from Freedom Main Radio. Stefan, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing good. So Bilderberg's been going on. It's been intense, and obviously their goal is globalization. So what I wanted to talk to you about is what? Okay, let me let me let me just start off with this question. What are some of the 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 ramifications of globalization? Because obviously. You don't believe in the state, and globalization is just a glorified um, is, is 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 a glorified state. So, how will by by having this global govern governance, by having a global government, how will that affect um, our freedoms and our liberties and the way that we live? Well, negatively, of course. Um, <laughs> I think the the essence about globalization is to remember what just about every college student learns their first or second year of college which is that long-distance relationships just don't work. <laughs> At least they very rarely do. Look, there's no way that they're going to put in some one-world government and take away all of the existing governments. So you're just going to have one more layer of government way up there in the stratosphere that's going to be managing things from even greater from an even greater distance, right? So you and I are working in some uh, ant colony and we're working together. That's one thing. If we're just some guy who's gardening a million miles away, he's not going to care about each individual ant. Right, of course not. Yeah, so this idea that if we put another layer of government on, it's the old strategy for those in power called doubling down. And this all works with Ponzi schemes as well, right? So, so you give me $10,000 and I say, Jake, my man, I'll double it for you in two months. Don't worry. I've got a, I got a, I got a horse that's going to win every race. And then uh, I come back to you in, uh, in two months and say, listen, man, uh, I saw this incredible opportunity for your ten grand where you can quadruple it. You can quadruple it. So I threw it in there. But listen, I'm going to need another five grand just to cover all of the extra stuff I'm going to need to do. Now, part of you is going to say, oh, man, I've just been scammed. And you're going to, you're going to consider that $10,000 an investment in maturity and wisdom. But another part of you is going to say, okay, for another couple of bucks, I might be able to get sixty or seventy or $80,000 out of this. And this can keep going, right? So right. the idea behind the globalization between a one-world government is, hey, let's just double down. You know, if governments aren't big enough now, let's just make them bigger and that will solve problems. But of course, the reality is that governments are five to ten times the size now than they were when they began promising all of this crap like uh, free health care and old age pensions and unemployment security and education and all of getting rid of drugs and all that. So governments are five to ten times larger. So Let's say they go from 10 to 20 or 30 times larger. That's no indication whatsoever that any of these problems are ever going to be solved. In fact, they're probably just going to get worse. So they're just inviting us to double down. Okay, all the power that you've given us so far hasn't quite done the trick. But give us more power and boy, oh boy, we're going to break through and finally solve all these problems we've been promising all these thousands and thousands of years. But not only that, but isn't it about power? Isn't it about consolidating this power? That, that, all, that all these people have, because look, the people who are at Bilderberg now are heads of corporations, they're heads of state, they are um, uh, Bill Gates, they are the, the, the co-founder of Facebook, you have all these very powerful people coming together in one place. I mean, isn't power a big part of government as well? And, and won't that just expand via globalization? Yeah, but I would argue that government fundamentally is, is only and forever all about currency. It's all about currency. That's the best way for people to steal from the population is through fiat currency, right? Once you de decouple money from gold or any other hard substance, you can just type whatever you want 
into your bank account. And that is not a power that people are going to give up lightly. So the drive to one world government, and look, I'm no expert on this. I'm just sort of theorizing from what people say. But the drive to one world government is, uh, is being accelerated if such a thing is going on because of the collapse of fiat currencies around the world. What they really need to do uh, in order to save the remnants of their twisted fascistic economic system is they need to eliminate competition between currencies, right? Because as the U.S. dollar loses value, people are going to go to other currencies as those currencies shift in value. So they need to stop that moving of resources around the world. They need to stop competition among currencies, which, of course, was the idea behind the euro as well. And we can see how well that has worked out for Europe as a whole. So um, with with that in mind, right, um, if uh, if these Glo- you know these these uh, global now now actually let's just focus on 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 the euro for a second what what were the consequences of the euro because that's sort of a micro a microcosm of what globalization could be well first of all of course uh, a number of countries just out and out lied to get into the euro so but the euro you were supposed to have i kind of think it was like three percent Uh, of your GDP was allowed to be in a deficit. And they just lied. They threw stuff off the books with the help of Goldman Sachs, particularly Greece. So they just lied to get in. So basically what they did was, it's like you and, and 40 neighbors all get together to pay off your visa bills collectively. And in order to get into this club, you can't have a visa bill of more than $500, right? So that's, but, but of course, some people sneak their way in by shifting to other cards or, or doing some sort of deferral payment or buying stuff that isn't due for six or 12 months. And so everybody's paying collectively, which means everyone has a desire to increase their own debts and decrease other people's debts. And uh, the people who act responsibly in that kind of system get completely hosed. And the people who act irresponsibly get subsidized. And this is what you can see. All of the money going from Germany, which has been fairly fiscally responsible and has strengthened its manufacturing base, all the money is flowing from Germany to the Mediterranean, to Ireland, to Portugal, Greece, Spain, and all these other countries. So it is just a massive uh, scam fest, this uh, collectivized euro, because no each individual country uh, has any particular drive or desire to keep its spending down. Because what they would do in the past is they would just devalue their currency uh, if they spent too much. But now they can't do that. So what they do is there's this giant sucking sound as the blood from the healthy bodies are going into the dying bodies without anyone getting healthier at all. And that's exactly uh, what's going to happen. There's going to have to be massive cross-subsidies if there's any kind of uh, drive to global currency. And, of course, the emerging economies are going to have very little – they're not going to want anything to do with this global currency. I mean, unless, of course, there's some – dangling of rewards in front of uh, Japan and China and the other major uh, U.S. debt holders to say, look, if you join the one world currency, we'll honor some portion of your U.S. debt, which all too soon the U.S. isn't going to be able to do. Exactly. And, uh, and, and of course, the U.S. may lose its power as the, as the world's reserve currency, which is going to be a big problem. No, no, the U.S. will lose its power. Not may, it will. This is mathematical certainty. The U.S. is absolutely going to lose its power as the world's reserve currency. There's simply no question of that because the Fed has simply as, as, has uh, uh, remarked this last week, has made a commitment this last week that there's not going to be any more QE3. There's not going to be any more fiscal stimulus. At least this is what they say, and I have no reason to disbelieve them because they've always been honest in the past. But uh, uh, so the U.S. is is simply not going to continue to inflate its way out, which means that there's there's two things that the U.S. can do. It can cut spending or it can start a war. Now, 
Didn't they just start bombing Yemen this last week? So it looks like they're going to try the war route, but I don't think that a world, we, a, a population that is weary of war after 10 years is going to... You can start the war to, to, to pretend to save your currency if you haven't had one for the last 10 years, but you can't continue a war and increase it. So uh, what's going to happen is the government is going to have to massively uh, cut its spending. That's going to be tough because if it lays workers off, all that happens is they go on unemployment insurance and the government doesn't save that much money at all. So there's going to have to be a fire sale of government assets. And I hope, I hope, though I'm not particularly hopeful, that the U.S. is going to clear away all of the horrendous regulations and complicated taxes and, and barriers to trade to allow the free market to declog a little bit and hopefully produce some wealth. But that's the only way forward. They've got to uh, shrink the size of the government, mostly by selling off government assets, which will move them from unproductive to productive areas of the economy. And they're going to have to repeal a whole bunch of this crazy licensing and and uh, tariffs and taxes and and trade restrictions of every kind and subsidies to some degree uh, just in order to to try and save the the remnants of the free market. Now, now let me just stop you there for a minute. Let me ask you a question about uh, regulation that you just said uh, or, or or more more so deregulation. Uh, now we now we know that um, or 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 so it is said that the reason that Iceland collapsed was was because of a deregulation of the banks. Is that is that another lie or is that uh, or, is, or is that the truth? Well, I mean, I don't I don't think that's really <laughs> that important. Uh, the, uh, the, the, what happened in, in Iceland was there was fiat currency and a bailout. And when you have fiat currency, like right, if currency is not privatized, the free market is a mere vestigial organ, right? The, if, if, the, if money is owned by the government, then every, like money is the source of everything in the free market. Money is like, it's like the water in a lake, right? I mean, if all the fish start dying, you don't sort of say, gee, they must be fighting with each other or they must have taken up smoking or right you look at the the environment as a whole and if if the economy has these big swings and big problems and this is straight out of Austrian economics 101 but if you see the economy having booms and busts and convulsions and debt the first place you look is currency currency is the core the lifeblood of the entire economy so in Iceland well you had uh, fiat currency and you had with fiat currency comes massive speculation uh, with fiat currency comes the need to prop up the, the stock market and the bond market, which means that you have to drive and herd everyone's money into the stock market. And governments do this by offering tax incentives for people to invest who should never, ever be in the stock market. The stock market should have a few speculators and a lot of sensible and knowledgeable investors. What it has now is very few investors and massive amounts of speculators who don't know what the hell they're doing. And, I mean, I count myself as one of those. I'm forced to park some portion of my money into the stock market or into the bond market because otherwise it's going to be stolen from me by the government. So I'd rather, you know, if, if someone's going to come and uh, uh, take your, your 50 bucks uh, or you can throw it on the blackjack table, everyone's going to say, well, if I throw it on the blackjack table, at least I might get something. But if I give it away, I'm going to get nothing. So you've got huge amounts of, of government regulation and force driving everybody's money into the stock market, which creates wild oscillations, which produces different kinds of CEOs of corporations who just focus on short-term share value rather than long-term business value. And then because you've got fiat currency, you also have the capacity to bail out banks that can threaten you with a financial rupture or catastrophe if you don't give the money. It's complete terrorism, as Max Kaiser says. I mean, this is what happened in 2007, 2008. The banks all sat down with the Fed and said, if you don't, uh, if you don't give us a trillion or two trillion dollars, we're going to detonate the entire financial system. And that's called holding people hostage. And uh, that's why it all passed in two days with a midnight signature with zero 
consultation from the public. It's the same thing that happened in Ireland in 2008, where the government simply guaranteed the losses of private banks with no consultation from the um, the people. Same thing happened in Iceland. The, the, the government guaranteed the losses of the private banks. Well, who's not going to gamble if it's free money and you get to keep all your winnings and uh, you get to uh, write off all your subsidies and have other people pay them that you don't know? So, yeah, it's nothing to do with the free market. But when, when the government controls the currency, the free market is just an afterthought. So my next question is, what are the consequences of a globally consolidated economy? What are some of the consequences of that? Because let's say th they, they consolidate all these economies together. What could happen? What are some of the disastrous things that could happen? Well, I mean, what's going to happen is, I mean, you, if you want to look at a, a unification project, all you have to do is look at the North American Free Trade Agreement. Free trade is, is pretty simple. Stop shooting people for trading. That's free trade. You know, stop pointing guns at people for voluntarily trading. That's all free trade is. Put the guns down and let people exchange their spanners, their widgets, and their marbles as they see fit and let them accept the consequences of good or bad trades as they like. That's all free trade is. Put the damn guns down. <laughs> Disarm. Uh, and uh, and this is, of course, nothing to do with what happened with North American free trade. The North American free trade agreement, which should be uh, four words, put the guns down. That's that's a four-word treaty. Put the guns down and let people trade. That's the whole treaty. But the American North American free trade agreement is uh, is over 2,000 pages of like two-point squintovision tiny type regulations. Uh, and uh, I, th I think the um, the recent regulation on the sale of cabbages was upwards of 800,000 words. Uh, so... Uh, all that's going to happen is is there's going to be these, quote, free trade agreements among various blocks if there's sort of a globalized economy. And all that means is that the government is going to wave guns at people in return, uh, that it's going to uh, agree to wave fewer guns at people in return for campaign donations and contributions, which means, of course, that if you uh, cozy up and uh, lick the ear of some politician and throw a few shekels into his pants pockets, uh, then he's going to give you some sort of preferential regulation. So it's going to be the same old corporate fascism that we've seen all along where the government waves guns around and decides not to wave guns at certain people who favor them. Like Nancy Pelosi's district has literally hundreds of exemptions to Obamacare uh, simply because these businesses are friends with Nancy Pelosi and have, uh, have applied for exemptions uh, from these rules. And so every time the government's created a rule, what they're basically doing is selling exemptions for money. Uh, and that's about, you know, it's just an old saying, right? If, um, if congressmen has to have the power to regulate who gets, like, what gets bought and sold. The first thing to get bought and sold are congressmen, and that's, that's the way it's shaking out. Same thing's going to happen in a global economy. It's just going to be a massive trough of corruption and bribery and violence. All right, so let me go ahead and ask you, there, there, there are a couple things that were leaked from the agenda list for the Agenda 2011. Let me just read a, read a few of these off and get your opinion on them. So the first one is the Dominique Strauss-Kahn, uh, you know, mayhem that has been going on after his, his, his alleged sexual misconduct. They want to have an appointee for the IMF. The other is the European bailouts. What do you think is going to happen there? Do you mean with the bailouts to the countries that are doing fairly poorly? Yeah, I mean, are, they going to, are those going to be effective? What do you think are going to be the ramifications of bailing out all these, all these countries? Well, I tell you, it's, it's, it's a grim, grim freaking boomerang for exactly what Europe has, doing, has been doing to Africa and, and India and other parts of Asia for the past couple of hundred years. What's happened uh, in, in particularly in Africa and, and other places is, and this is straight out of John Perkins' uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, is that uh, foreign aid and other forms of bribery uh, encourage governments to grow larger and to spend money, to buy weapons, to oppress their own population, to do what governments always do, which is to bribe their friends and bully their enemies. 
And then the government's run out of money. And the IMF comes in and says, oh, don't worry, we'll give you a nice emergency loan. All you basically have to do is give up your sovereignty, is sell off uh, all of this um, uh, government stuff, privatize some stuff, and give favorable trading conditions to particularly well-placed and politically connected companies. This has been happening uh, throughout the world for, I guess, certainly since the Second World War. And in some ways, you could argue it happened long before that. The local economies stagnate, right? So from the middle of the 19th century to the middle of the 20th century, when uh, India achieved independence, the average Indian's wages didn't go up at all because the, the, the resources all got pillaged and raped by external imperialistic forces, which were uh, monopolistic companies with government-controlled and armed privileges. Right. So Europe has been doing this to the third world for decades or centuries, and now it's happening in Europe. So Ireland is going to have to give up some of its sovereignty, and Greece is going to have to give up some of its sovereignty. And what that means is that the uh, IMF or, or the EU or some agency, whether it's existing or new, is going to guarantee some of the bondholders' return on investment. And what's going to happen is the population is going to be sold into serfdom for at least a generation, probably two, to work uh, probably half their lives to pay off uh, scum-sucking, parasitical, blood-soaked, uh, oily-tentacled, uh, gross-out financiers. They're basically, it's, it's serfdom. It's the Middle Ages all over again. Uh, they're going to, the bondholders are going to get some guarantees, and the population is going to be sold into serfdom, and their wages are going to decline, and their economy is going to decline. And uh, sovereignty is going to begin to dissolve within the European Union, and it's going to be a sucking motion as one economy after another uh, pulls, you know, like uh, everybody hanging onto an, an anchor chain, it all get pulled into the water. This is going to happen all the way through, and then there's going to be some uh, diminishment of local authority, or the local governments are going to be in as sort of um, uh, just uh, figureheads. Uh, but the real power is going to grow up to a larger organization, which is only going to de defer and exacerbate the problems that are going to occur. Well, that's what happened to Ecuador. Uh, the IMF went into Ecuador, and now they're cutting down the rainforest, and, uh, and, and, and the tribes are pissed. The tribes are really pissed, and so is, uh, so is Rafael Correa, who's the current president down there. Uh, a friend of mine, he's, um, he's the governor of the Marissa Santiago province, and, that, uh, and, and many, many native villages lie in that area. And, uh, and, and he's been able to, to successfully block the IMF from from uh, doing as much de deforestation in, in uh, his province, but they don't have as strong of governors in other provinces, and this is what's happening in, in a lot of these third world countries. Well, and, and in some ways, I mean, it's a weird kind of progress, Jake. I mean, in the past, they used to just go in and slaughter the local inhabitants and take all of their resources. So in a weird way, this is, this is what we call progress in the human <laughs> race. That, and now it's been done by financial whack thuggery rather than a bullet to the brain. Uh, this is a weird kind of progress. I mean, I England, of course, went in and has pillaged Ireland for centuries, uh, driving Irish overseas uh, to flee various famines created by uh, government interventions and controls. Uh, now, at least you're allowed to have uh, a microwave and maybe even a small car in your serfdom, and you don't just get shot and enslaved as they went in. No, first time they went into South America, I mean, the Westerners, right? I mean, it was a pretty brutal and, and a hideous uh, uh, slaughter. And now, well, you know, they still get to take the resources and they still enslave the population, but it's financial, Rather than uh, you know, it's fiat-based rather than lead-based occupation, I suppose. Right, and 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 that's the way it has to be. Now, now my next, uh, the next thing on the agenda. I I I don't think it's the way it has to be. But, Just but, it's the, but, it's, but it's the way that it is right, right now for sure. And I don't think that, that that many people are going to begin to get pissed off because we have a few things like Fox News and MSNBC and all that stuff that is just spewing out all this excuse my language of bullshit every day, and people are just staring at their televisions and they're taking it all in.
Well, of course, of course. And uh, I think, you know, um, I think that's because the elder generation has a pretty damn guilty conscience and they should. They should. Look, the elder, the post-war generation, right, what Tom Brokaw has called the greatest generation. Uh, look, these guys became wealthy by indebting their children, by selling off their kids into serfdom, often to foreigners. Uh, a lot of the wealth that was, quote, created after the Second World War was created in proportion to the accumulation of government debt and the devaluation of the dollar. And that's, uh, that's pretty important. So we have the richest generation in history, which is the baby boomers, all heading towards retirement. And they have completely vacuumed up the, the capital and resources of society as a whole. And now they're marching into their retirement saying, give us more, give us more. Now you must give us our social security and our free health care and our prescription drug program. We want more. We want more. And at some point, at some point, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, but at some point, the young people are going to say, you know what? No, I don't think so. Y'all got completely wealthy by getting 3 to $4 in services back for every dollar you paid in taxes. You've laden me down with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt for stuff that I never even saw and didn't even receive. And now you want me when I, unemployment is at 30% among the young and underemployment is even higher? You want me to fund your retirement? No, sell your house, dip into your savings. You know, you all gambled on the government. Well, go to the government and collect your winnings, but don't come to me. Of course not. I mean, and, and, and that's just, uh, but they are coming to you and they are saying we want you to pay for it. Uh, of course they are. Of course they are. And if the young people say yes, then they've no one but themselves to blame. But I mean, because when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was always told about financial responsibility by the same people who were now demanding that I pay for their retirement. It's like if I went down to the casino and I blew all my money, I didn't get to go to, to the adults around and say, hey, listen, I need all your money because I gambled and blah, blah, blah. Well, giving your money to the government for 40 years for your retirement is a gamble. And the, the baby boomers have known for at least two decades that the cupboard is bare. And, the, and what have they done about it? Nothing. Nothing. All they've done is continue to be as entitled and greedy as ever. And so, yeah, look, actions have consequences. It's what they always taught me when I was a kid. Well, it's boomerang time, babies. Uh, actions have consequences. You take the risks and sometimes you lose. And unfortunately, as far as retirement goes, uh, they lost. All right. So the next thing is the Internet kill, kill switch, which I know that you've probably heard about in the U.S., um, what what are your thoughts? I mean, what could be the ramifications of them completely have, uh, of having the power to shut down the internet? Well, I mean, it's um, it's something you and that I are out of business. I'll tell you that right now. I'm sorry. I said you and I are out of business. I'll tell you that right now. Well, no, look, look, they're they're not going to do it forever, and they're not going to do it for very long. I I, th I think I think that this is basically it's a big kill switch because they recognize that uh, after spending. God knows how many trillion dollars on their military that a bunch of pimply, greasy-fingered teenage hackers from Belarus uh, can take it down. So they recognize that there's a new form of cyber warfare that's out there, uh, denial-of-service attacks, invasive attacks, other kinds of hacking attacks, uh, worm plantings, viruses, whatever. And so there's a big kill switch, I think, which is designed to do their very best to to stop uh, hackers from infiltrating whatever systems they've they've created. Uh, I, I don't think, I mean, the, the U.S. government itself probably can't survive very long without uh, the Internet. So I don't think it's going to be something that's particularly risky right. uh, for people as a whole. I think they're just going to throw it when, uh, when they're concerned about cyber attacks until they can figure out what to do. Now, and now there's another thing on the agenda here that I want to bring up to you. Um, it's the false flag terror attacks that have been happening. Uh, do you see more of them coming in the future? Is our government going to do more of them? What are your thoughts? Oh, yes, no question. There's no question that the population 
is is being filled with a looming and entirely rational sense of foreboding. Everybody gets and knows that we're living in the end times of a thrashing out dying system. Everybody gets that who's got any brains whatsoever. And so when the, you know, when the sheep start to get restless, the first thing you do is you cry, wolf, did you hear that? I heard a wolf. He's going to huff. He's going to pluff. He's going to blow your house down. That's entirely natural. Uh, So uh, I I imagine also that this is one of the reasons why there's so, you know, why the U.S. is poking so many sticks into the hornet's nest of the Middle East by attacking uh, Libya and, um, uh, and Yemen and, of course, staying in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are new waves of terrorists coming out there, and uh, yeah, you keep uh, you keep poking that stick in the hornet's nest, and then you get stung, and you act all shocked, and you say, "Well, the hornet must hate me because I'm free." It's like, well, if you stop poking your <laughs> stick into the nest, maybe you'll. So yeah, I mean, they don't have to necessarily plan false. You just keep sticking that ne- that stick in the hornet's nest. Something's going to happen. So someone's going to get pissed uh, off. Yeah, someone's going to get pissed off. Someone's going to do something, and then that's the way that you get the population to surrender more money and freedoms is you scare them with imminent attack. And uh, that's a story as old as ancient Rome, as ancient Greece. Uh, you you invent an enemy and you create a terrified herd-like sense of false unity. That is the, in, the inevitable uh, exit strategy or closing chapter of a collapsing fiat currency system is uh, expanded totalitarianism and war. I mean, just look at the Weimar Republic, which led to Hitler, which led to, led to World War II and the Holocaust and all these other monstrous evils. Uh, and uh, this is uh, this is entirely natural, and uh, it's only, of course, my hope that the communications power, open-mindedness, and intelligence, uh, intelligent communications that's afforded by the internet, is going to be uh, able to get people to understand that the upcoming threats of war and terrorism are mere scare tactics designed to distract us from the real issue, which is a growing statism at home. Uh, it's my hope that we can get out there and waken up people up that they will see through these lies for what they are. Right, and that's what people are beginning to do. So there's another thing on the agenda here, oil prices. What is going on, Stefan? What's happening here? Well, uh, oil prices uh, are pretty simple. Uh, there's a, um, a fallback in demand. Uh, and the fallback in demand is happening to some degree because of the inefficiency. Remember, America was going to pay for the entire war in Iraq through oil revenues. How is that working out with the government doing all its free market wonderful uh, stuff? Well, of course, it's not working out at all. And so uh, th- there's been, you know, Iraq has been largely knocked out of production. Uh, whatever was being produced with Afghanistan, which I don't think is a lot, they've switched all to poppies to help uh, fuel the drug habits in the Western world as their form of rational vengeance. But, uh, yeah, you've got the Arab Spring, and the Arab Spring has a lot to do with, uh, I mean, obviously frustration and a a view of freedom through the Internet that they're not getting at home, but it has a lot to do with, Jesus H., we're really sick and tired in the Middle East of having this deal where the, the Western governments arm our goddamn dictators to the teeth in return for all of our oil. Like, how does that benefit the local people, right? I mean, a significant portion of Egyptians live on $2 or less a day after 6,000 years of the government. The U.S. arms industry sells more arms, says two times the amount of arms per capita in the Middle East than anywhere else in the world. We are continually arming, and this happens in Canada as well, we're continually arming Middle Eastern governments in return for preferential oil prices. That's the deal. You know, we help them oppress their citizens and they give us cheaper oil in return. Well, that's beginning to break down because the citizens are getting a little sick and tired of it. And who can blame them? So what they're doing is they're saying, we want some of the oil revenues to to accrue to the population as a whole. So they're going to want to nationalize and socialize and all the stuff that they did 
in uh, in South America with the natural resources, which is hugely tragic because then you're just going to get a new bunch of uh, ass clowns in there who are going to start pillaging all of that stuff. And it's going to be a local predatory dictatorship rather than one that's remote controlled by Western military power. But, you know, again, these are slow baby steps forward. The, the Arab world is only going to change, only fundamentally going to change when the philosophers in the region begin to stand up to the clerics. Uh, it's the same thing that had to happen in the West when the Renaissance and the Enlightenment took on uh, Catholicism and took on the fragmented uh, Protestant religions uh, during and after the Reformation. Uh, someone has got to stand up to these crazy clerics and, and get them off the government and get them off the people and particularly start to get them away from the kids so the kids can grow up without all of this religious indoctrination. Once the philosophers begin to stand up in the Muslim world, you're probably only about 100 years away from a significant amount of progress. But right now, in the absence of any new philosophy, all they're going to do is keep repeating their old mistakes in different forms. Now, of course, they, they also have um, – they're also trying to rig the Republican nominees for 2012, which, which is, of course, going to be huge because, because everybody wants Ron Paul – to to you know run and, and win and all that sort of stuff, um, but of course he has a lot of competition. What do you think is going to happen with the elections this year? Uh, you know, I I really wish I could summon the interest to have an opinion about that. I mean, uh, the you know the, the the ruling classes are going to win, the special interests are going to win, and the citizens are going to lose. I mean, uh, I I hope that Ron Paul doesn't get in, not because I I mean I think he's uh, he's a very good. Uh, a thinker and a very good uh, very good at economics and very good at his understanding of the corruptions of state power. But, uh, you know, the ship hit the iceberg like 30 years ago. The last thing we want is a libertarian president to be remembered as the one that drove the Titanic into the water. I mean, we really, really don't want any libertarians near power at the moment because uh, they'll just think that – I mean, look, they're, they're somehow <laughs> saying that it was Ayn Rand who has caused the current financial crisis. I mean, I, was re I saw this documentary in England uh, called uh, Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace where they're saying that, that Ayn Rand and objectivism – I drove the privatization and Greenspan was an acolyte of Ayn Rand and that's why we have all of these financial catastrophes. And it's like, oh my God. Ayn Rand, of course, and Greenspan were entirely for gold currency, gold-backed based currency. And Ayn Rand had passionate speeches uh, from Ragnar Danisgold and Atlas Shrugged about the need for gold and fiat currency being the greatest evil. Alan Greenspan wrote articles about the necessity of gold currencies. They were unable to achieve a gold-backed currency once, they got into, once Greenspan got into power. Which doesn't mean that he was a good guy. Right. It just means that that's what happened. But the idea that that what happened in the real world was the complete opposite of Ayn Rand's philosophy, and therefore she's responsible for for the disasters that resulted, even though she predicted everything. I mean, it's with astounding accuracy. But because she was the most accurate predictor, she's now the one who must be the most defamed by all the predators currently hanging off the jugular of the last remaining drops of healthy blood in the human form. Yeah, and and I don't think that we can blame everything on her. I think I I I have friends. I I have a friend who is who's just a huge Ayn Rand fan, and you know it's it's. I think that again, I'm not going to endorse my own personal political opinions, but I but I do th I I think it's ridiculous to say that Ayn Rand is the cause of our current financial problems. No, if people had listened to Ayn Rand, government would be about five percent what it is now. Currency would be privatized or gold based. Uh, there would be complete free trade. Uh, there would be virtually no government agencies, and we would be going through a scientific, economic, and philosophical renaissance, the lights of which we'd never, ever seen before. We'd have jetpacks, space helmets, time travel, and uh, uh, hotels on Mars. Uh, but unfortunately, we're going back into the same crappy quagmire of the Dark Ages that always happens when the government gets too big and too powerful and begins to eat its own young. Exactly.
Now here's now here's the next thing on the agenda. There 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 are two more things I want to ask you about. The first one is the Israel Land for Peace grab. What is going on there? What do you think is going to be happening there with Israel? I'm no expert in Israel, but neither am I. What I yeah what what I would say about uh, Israel and and Palestine is that I mean this is this is the tragedy of religion. This is the tragedy of of religion. Um, it 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 has great a great deal of difficulty. Uh, and and the religion of, of statism I sort of include in this is that uh, it has a great deal of difficulty coexisting with other uh, fantasies. Uh, you know, one guy who thinks he's Napoleon uh, can't do much with another guy who thinks he's Genghis Khan because they both their illusions are pretty fragile. So uh, it's not surprising to me that there's expansionistic tendencies among the more fundamentalist aspects of uh, of Israelis, uh, and it's not surprising to me that there is a huge amount of resistance. The Palestinians, I mean, they have an absolutely wretched, wretched existence. I mean, uh, I, I, was, um, I had an interview uh, with uh, a, um, a very powerful thinker who was an expert on the Middle East who was uh, telling me the story about uh, how a woman uh, who was, I think, 70 or so, somebody asked her how old she was, and she said, well, I'm 16. And somebody said, well, what do you mean you're 16? You look like you're 70. And she says, yeah, but I was 16 when um, the Israelis took over, and that's when my life stopped. Uh, and and in a, in, a, in a way, that's really true. The Palestinians live in this frozen time of the late 1940s, early 1950s, where they have very few economic opportunities. Uh, the unemployment is hugely high. They survive on, on handouts uh, from uh, aid agencies around the world. They, they don't have a, a sense of, of property, of, of planning, of, of sovereignty, of security. Uh, it's a completely, completely wretched existence. And it's also completely unnecessary. I mean, you can't go back and rewrite history. But, oh, man, I mean, why I mean, why is Israel where it is? Because of their religious history. I mean, Switzerland offered up a canton. Brazil offered up land where, the, where Israel could have been set up, where they wouldn't have been smack dab in the mid, midst of every enemy uh, to, to Judaism in the world. But they had to go there because that was what God said, and that's what history said, and that's what uh, uh, tradition and religion said. That's where they had to go, rather than making a rational decision and saying, look, uh, if everyone there hates us, maybe we can go someplace where everybody doesn't hate us and we can have a much more peaceful existence. But again, uh, this is just the great tragedy. I think this is, um, you know, it's going to continue. I do believe, I do believe this is based on some of my conversations with the younger Israelis through my show. Uh, I do believe that there is a, um, uh, a generational change that is going to occur fairly shortly in Israel where the, um, uh, the younger generation doesn't have the same battle-scarred, Holocaust-informed terror of the outside world. And I'm not saying the, the elder generation is wrong to have that perspective, but that's a perspective that they do have. And the Israelis that I've talked to say that, you know, well, we kind of have to wait for this older generation to, to relinquish power, and then, you know, we can get in and, you know, work something out that's a little bit more sustainable and a little bit less confrontational. And that, of course, is, is, is my hope uh, for, for what happens in the Middle East, because Israel should stop uh, living in this uh, fortress mentality and the Palestinians need some sort of security and capacity for economic, social, and political advancement. But uh, I think as long as there is this very hard-line them-or-us approach, uh, there's just going to be win-lose all the time. I agree. So, all right, so the last thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go today is the carbon tax resurgence. What... I don't, I don't agree with the carbon tax. It ties in a lot to global warming. What are your thoughts on a carbon tax? Uh, it's, it's, I mean, 
it's just a um, it's just a it's a money grab. I mean, the carbon is irrelevant. They'll insert whatever they want in front of the word tax just to get the tax. You know, I mean, it's the it's the tax on on excessive profits. Okay, well, excessive profits are bad, so let's tax. It's tax to help the poor. Oh, I want to help the poor. So whatever they have to put in front of the word tax to get your money, they will. Of course, there's absolutely zero reason why governments should tax anything that they want to discourage. There's absolutely zero reason for it. Uh, because what they could do is they could cut taxes on what they want to encourage, right? So instead of taxing carbon production, all they have to do is give tax refunds to carbon reduction. It's it's that simple. That's much more effective, much faster to implement. But they're never going to do that because that would be a net reduction Was in government. Was that why cigarettes income. are $12 a pack in New York? <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, they, they want to increase the amount of money, and they'll create whatever scares they want to get people to part with their money. Oh, my God, it's global warming. Well, you have to give us a billion dollars. Oh, my God, there's, a, there's drug use. We have to give us a billion dollars. Oh, my God, there are three poor people who have less than perfect education. You have to give us a billion dollars. Whatever they can tell you to pry the money out of your pocket, they will tell you. And so a carbon tax has nothing to do with anything except the word tax. Whatever we can do to hoover up more money so that we can borrow and spend and get as much money out of the population as we can before the fiat currency collapses is complete nonsense. The government doesn't care about the economy. If the government cared about natural resources, then it would damn well have taken care of the most important natural resource in the world, which is capital. In other words, it would not have spent itself into oblivion and sold off the younger generation into debt slavery because capital is the most important thing. Without capital, without savings, without assets, you can't get anything done. You can't save the environment. You can't help the poor. You can't provide free health care. You can't do any of that stuff. So everything that the government says it cares about is completely eclipsed and detonated by the simple reality that in order to care about those things, the government needs an excess of capital. It needs an excess of savings, which it has eaten through and destroyed like termites on an eating binge through an entirely wooden structure. And so whenever the government says it cares about some long-term sustainability of something like the environment of the poor or education, I mean, it's just, it's a mind-blowing lie. Because exactly. it, to achieve that, they have to sustain capital. And if they, if they can't sustain capital, which they can't, then everything else is just made up nonsense. So yeah, I don't believe in the carbon tax any more than anyone, any, anyone with any brain believes in it. All right, so Stefan, just your final thoughts. What do you think is going to be happening in, let's say, the next five to ten years? Well, it's going to be very sudden, and uh, it's going to be very scary. There is going to be a significant reduction in value in Western currencies. That is indisputable, and that's going to have ripple effects around the world. I am as pleased as you can possibly be with any kind of government initiative that there's not going to be any more printing of money, or at least that's what they claim. And I mean, who knows? Who knows? But at least this is a stated policy. And you don't state that kind of policy without something behind it. Otherwise, there are significant re repercussions. Because they poured another trillion dollars in stimulus spending. And of course, it did absolutely nothing. And, and how could it? Because all it does is inflate the currency. So it's going to be very sudden. And people are going to be very surprised at how rapidly the few remaining percentage points value of the U.S. dollar, which is what lost like 97% of its value since the government granted the Federal Reserve a monopoly on currency, it's going to be very sudden. And there's going to be a wrenching transition uh, in society as people don't get their money, as people don't get their checks, as uh, people don't get their pensions. And, uh, you know, I really urge people to, you know, get some food in the basement, get some water in the basement. I don't think we're going to go into Mad Maxville, but there's going to be a transition time that is probably going to be measured in the uh, months rather than the weeks or days where 
society has fundamentally run out of resources and uh, people's uh, uh, assets are going to uh, drop in value significantly. Uh, housing assets are going to further plunge in value. Um, there may be some temptation to print money as a last-ditch measure, but I don't think that's going to work. People who hold government bonds are going to see them uh, not get 100 uh, cents on the dollar. There's going to be a very, very significant change. Lots of unemployment. There's going to be um, problems with the food supply because as the global system readjusts itself to a change in the global currency, uh, there's going to be a lot of disruption. So, uh, you know, I, I strongly urge people to layer in some protection. You know, hey, if I'm completely wrong and nothing bad happens, so you've got some food in the in the basement right. that you can eat at, at some point. But it's better to be safe than sorry in this area because wrenching changes are coming. That which you do not change by choice, you end up changing by circumstance, right? If you don't stop drinking, then you end up, uh, you know, in a, in a ditch outside Vegas with uh, a bloody hooker's uh, dress on your back. And uh, then you, you are forced into rehab by, by the state. So if you don't change by choice, you end up changing by, by circumstances. And unfortunately, that's where we're heading. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. It's been great. You know, is is this interview going to go on YouTube by any chance? I know I, put, I, I know you put your last one that I did. Yeah, I th if you don't mind, uh, I certainly would like to. Okay. I think that we've discussed some topics. So please give the uh, the details for your show so my listeners can find you. All right, guys. So uh, if you're watching the YouTube video that Stefan's going to put up, you can find our website at www.truthtransmission.com. I'm Jake Kettle, your host. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we cover a lot of stuff. We cover uh, conspiracy, paranormal, we cover UFO, all different kinds of stuff. But, uh, you know, this is the Bilderberg uh, live broadcast. So uh, thanks so much for uh, coming on, Stefan. And thanks for giving me that plug. My pleasure. Take so care. it's uh, freedomainradio.com, guys. That's Stefan Molyneux. And he's going to be on with us for a debate in August. Isn't that right? Yes, I'm going to debate with your uh, lawyer friend about minarchism versus uh, uh, anarchism, which I think should be entirely enjoyable. Yeah, so I, so I can't wait for that. Remember, stay tuned for that, guys. And Stefan, thanks so much for coming on. Have a good night. My pleasure. Take care.